I'm Barrett Bowden, lead pastor here, and I do welcome you to worship this morning. I was just saying that the first Sunday of every October marks a special day in my life as I think about the great privilege that God has given me to be pastor here of this church. Uh, this Sunday marks uh, my ninth anniversary as lead pastor here at ICC, and I just wanted to say here on the start of this Sunday uh, how grateful I am uh, to be able to have the incredible opportunity to know you, to love you, to serve you to pray for you, to encourage you, and uh, to walk with you in faith as we walk uh, with Jesus. Um, I love each and every one of you. And as I look uh, this morning, I think about you, your faces, your families, uh, your stories, the incredible testimonies of God in your life, uh, and, the, and the hopes that I have for your future. And uh, I just wanted to remind you this morning how much I love you and what a great privilege it is uh, to be able to serve you in the Lord. I want to pray for us this morning as we continue our time of worship together in the Word. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have today to worship you. And Lord, I pray today that you would capture our heart's affection for you. Lord, thank you that in this is love, not that we love you, but that you have loved us and you've given your Son for the propitiation, the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, thank you that you give grace upon grace upon grace for those who believe. Lord, all of us have sinned. All of us in ways are trying to save ourselves. All of us have turned from you, looking for something other than you to fill our hearts and lives. And Lord, we ask your forgiveness this morning. Lord, we know desperately how much we need you, how you are the only one to save. Lord, how much we need your mercy and grace in our heart and life, both to make us right with you eternally, but also, Lord, just for the practical things that we're facing today. And so, Lord, we just come with our hope, not in ourselves, but in you, God, and what you give to us in your Son. And I pray, God, by your Spirit, that we would have the opportunity to know you more today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, if you've got your Bibles, I hope you've already got them open to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be continuing our series this morning in the book of Hebrews as we pick up where we left off last week in chapter 4 starting in verse 14. Some of my favorite verses in the Bible. I wonder this morning, have you ever thought about this? You ever had a thought like this? Nobody understands me. Anybody ever had a thought in your life where you've gone through something, maybe even right now you're in the middle of something, and you literally think, maybe you don't say it out loud, but you think to yourself, there is literally nobody, nobody who could understand me. There's nobody who gets what I am going through. Anybody ever had that thought, ever? Anybody ever had that moment, maybe even right now, where you're just like, there's nobody who could, could understand? Maybe another thought I want you to think about, nobody can help me. Anybody ever had a moment in your life where you literally go, there's nobody right now who can offer the help that I need? Not only am I not understood, but I'm helpless. Like, there's, there's literally, I can't think of anybody who can actually do anything about the situation that I'm in, the problem that I'm facing, the feelings that I have. Anybody ever thought that at any point in life? One more thought I would ask if you had considered before, and that is nobody wants to help me. Not only has nobody helped me, can nobody help me, but maybe you've had a thought before of like, nobody even wants to help me. Like, I'm in this place right now where like, I just feel so frustrated, so forgotten, so helpless and in ways so alone. Well, this morning, I am excited to have the opportunity to go to God's Word together in Hebrews chapter 4, and the opportunity to consider together as we go to God's Word just how great 
Jesus is. Today's message is called Jesus, a better priesthood. And we're going to be looking at the passage that was read earlier by Darius. And thank you, Darius, for reading for us in chapter 4, starting at verse 14 through chapter 5, verse 10. And we're going to be looking at this theme, how Jesus offers a better priesthood. Now, over and over and over in the book of Hebrews, I've been saying this week after week, Hebrews is a book about how Jesus is better. 13 different times in the book, the the author of the book describes how he is better. Over and over, he's going to take all kinds of things and compare them to Jesus. And with each comparison and contrast, he's going to come out saying, look, Jesus is better. No matter what you compare him to, what you contrast him to, you will find he is better in every way. 14 different times the phrase perfect is used, describing how Jesus is literally, um, there's, there's nothing lacking in him. He's the best of the best, and he's the one your heart was made to behold. And then we also see in the book, of course, how Jesus is unchanging, how Hebrews describes him as the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, I want to remind you of some sections of the book, and I don't know if we've talked about these before, but I want to help you understand a little bit of the structure of the book of Hebrews as we continue this morning. The book of Hebrews, it can really be divided into three distinct sections, all of them describing how Jesus is better. Everything we've done up to this point, from chapter 1, 1, all the way through chapter 4, verse 13, where we stopped last week, what we see is the writer describing how Jesus is a better person. In his personhood, he is better. He is better. He is better. Well, today we're going to be turning a corner to what can be described as like a second large theme of the book, how Jesus is better. In chapter 4, verse 14, which we start today all the way through chapter 10, midway, verse 18, what we see is this, the beginning of this description as how Jesus is a better priest. He is a better priest. Not only is he better in his person, but in his priesthood, he is better. And that's exactly what we're going to be launching into today. And then at the end of the book, um, we see from chapter 10, verse 19, all the way through the end of chapter 13, the writer describes that if you come into relationship with Jesus, he describes that that life with Jesus is so much better than any other life that you could ever find. And he begins in some practical exhortations toward the end of the book. But over the next weeks, um, as we start this passage today, all the way through that passage in uh, chapter 10, we're going to be looking at and focusing on how Jesus is a better priest. And so this morning, like I said, if you've got your Bibles, we're in Hebrews chapter 4, starting verse 14. As always, I want to give you a core truth for the day that you have the opportunity to write down and to really be able to really fully understand and hopefully remember and then disciple someone else in the the core truth of the passage. And today's core truth is this. Because Jesus is a perfect priest, you can approach God with assurance of receiving help in your time of need. Hope everybody will take an opportunity to write this down or jot it down on your phone or something, uh, notepad or journal so that you can really be not just a hearer of the word, but one who really seeks to understand it, to apply it, and then to give it to someone else. Jesus, because Jesus is a perfect priest, you can approach God with assurance of receiving help in your time of need. Will y'all say that with me this morning? Because Jesus is a perfect priest, you can approach God with assurance of receiving help in your time of need. 
That's basically a paraphrase, by the way, of chapter 4, verse 16. But we'll look at that in just a second. In this section, like I said, the writer of Hebrews is describing Jesus as a priest. And it begs the question, okay, what is a priest? Some of us might be familiar with the idea of a priest. Um, There are some religious systems today, uh, uh, for instance, like in Catholicism, there is still very much um, the title of priest is still very active, right? You see that in some church systems even to this day. The idea of a priest is, imagine back if you lived in the days of the Old Testament, you would have a place where God's presence would dwell, right? In the wilderness days, it was in the tabernacle, and then it became a permanent structure called the temple. Um, But you'd have a place where God's presence would dwell. And his presence would dwell there in the middle of that place called the Holy of Holies would be the Ark of the Covenant, that great symbol of God's holiness, of his perfection, of his, uh, his ways, his laws inside. Um, and that would be separated, of course, by that, that veil that would be in the temple. And really, you would go into the tabernacle complex or the temple complex, and you would go there uh, to, to relate to God. But the reality is, there would be one who would be needed because of our uh, great sinfulness and God's great holiness there would be one who would be needed there to mediate between us and God. Uh, even to this day, there are, if you go into the Catholic Church, uh, for instance, um, you would find that role continues. Uh, you go into a confession booth, for instance, and you would talk to someone. You would tell uh, your sins to that person. In other words, that person in, in some ways almost symbolizes like a mediator, your need for a mediator between you and God. And this priest would also uh, not only hear your confessions, but would help you to make the right sacrifices and offerings for your sin, would help uh, with the giving, uh, pouring out of the blood of those sacrifices or the giving of them if they weren't animal uh, blood sacrifices, and would take those and present them before God in ways that would be acceptable to Him. And He would uh, administer, in other words, God's, God's blessing and also God's grace. So you have this picture of kind of this, this go-between between you who are so sinful and God who is so holy. So in this way, we can kind of begin to understand the idea of a priest. Now, you can also look at your Bible in chapter 5, verse 1. Everybody look at your Bible real quick because you can also see there kind of this described here in the passage that we're studying and focusing on today. He says, For every high priest chosen from among men, is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So there's basically three different things that are part of being a high priest. We can make a quick list just in case you're wondering what is a priest and what is the role that we're talking about here. The list straight from the verse is number one, this high priest is chosen from among men. It's important to recognize the priest is chosen by God, but it's also important to recognize that this priest would be one who would be from among you. So you'd go to the priest and you would see in some ways a likeness, right? He's, he's a man like you, and he's chosen by God for this among men. Secondly, we see from the verse that this one is appointed, okay? He's not self-appointed, but he's appointed by God. And what is he appointed by God for? basically, like I just said, to act as that mediator between holy God and you who are sinful and in need of grace. So this is 
one who would be appointed by God for this mediation work. And third, we see that in this work of mediation, there is an offering. There's an offering of gifts and of sacrifices, of non-blood and blood sacrifices. And the reason these gifts are offered is to be essentially um, covering for your sin, before your guilt, for your shame before God. Now you can understand, just look at this list. The Jewish people for centuries have known this way of relating to God, right? This is how they've known how to go in and worship, how to go in and find forgiveness, how to go in and find rest, how to find freedom of guilt and shame in the conscience, how to relate to God, how to offer acceptable prayers to God. This is what they've known. So you've got to know that when the writer of Hebrews is desiring to, to come in and say, look, but Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's better in every way. And he's looking for comparisons and contrasts as he's making this argument, Jesus is better. Of course, what is one of the things that he needs to show, that he needs to deal with, that he needs to help us understand? Is it not understanding how Jesus is a better priest? Do you make, does it make sense now why all of this matters? Do you see why it matters? It is critical for us to understand why and how Jesus is better as our mediator before God. And in fact, he is. So if you go back to our core truth, what we're saying here in the core truth, what this passage today and the future chapters about as we are in this section of how he's a better priest, what we're saying here is that Jesus is a priest. You have to understand this. One of Jesus' core roles in our lives as believers is that he serves as our priest. He serves as our mediator. No longer are we going to a human priest, not only are we going to an earthly tabernacle, we're going to Jesus directly into the presence of God. And what we're saying here today is because Jesus is a perfect priest, you can approach God with assurance of receiving help in your time of need. So I want to look at the passage today, all right? I hope everybody's taking notes. There's three main sections that I want to focus on in the passage today. And really, they mirror, if you can think about it, the three, the three main points today come from verses 14, 15, and 16. So there's really one main thought from 14, one main thought from 15, and one main thought from 16. And I love this. So what are we going to do today is basically walk through those three verses. Now, if you wonder about it, Verse, chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, really support the thoughts that are presented there in 14, 15, and 16 of chapter 4. And the three main thoughts of today's passage is this. Number one, how Jesus has a better position. How is he a better priest? Number one, he has a better position. How is he a better priest? Number two, Jesus offers a better sympathy. He offers a better sympathy. How is he a better priest? Number three, Jesus provides a better access. 
Jesus provides a better access. So we're going to walk through these together. We're going to start with number one, how Jesus has a better position. And if you're curious, what is that better position? We'll go ahead and put it up here. The better position that Jesus has is he is the eternal high priest. Jesus is the eternal high priest. If you look back at your Bibles and look at verse 14 with me, all right? Chapter 4, verse 14. Since then, we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. I love this verse. Um, We're going to unpack it just a little bit. He goes, since then, we have such a great high priest. Now, we've talked about what a priest is. A high priest in the Old Testament was one who was essentially the leader of all priests. He was the one who on that most special day, the Day of Atonement we read about in Leviticus 18, uh, would go actually behind the veil offering sacrifices on behalf of the people for the atonement of sins. He was a special class of priest. There was only one high priest at a time, and he was the leader of all the priests and the most revered of all the mediators between God, a holy God, and a sinful people. But here, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 14, he doesn't just say that Jesus is a priest. He doesn't just say that Jesus is a high priest. He gives him a title that is beyond any title that we've ever seen before in the Scriptures. What does he say? Since then we have a what? Great high priest. A great high priest. How cool is this? Not only do we have a priest, not only do we have a high priest, we have a great high priest. In other words, he's better in every way. If you are looking for one to mediate perfectly between our God who is holy and perfect in every way and you who you know your guilt and your shame and your sin, your need for grace before God, if you are looking for one to be a perfect mediator, look to Jesus For he's not only a perfect priest, he's not only a perfect high priest, but he is a perfect, great high priest. There has been no one, no one like him. And then it says this, not only is he a great high priest, but what is that next phrase? Who has passed through the what? The heavens. Who has passed through the heavens. Now think about the imagery. What we've known so far in priest is one, I mean, I have been to many Orthodox churches around the world. I've even, you know, been in systems, uh, inside churches where there's still systems, and there, there are still systems even today where you watch a priest and only one person can go back to that most holy place inside of these places. Imagine what the tabernacle and the temple would have been like, that, the grandeur, the splendor uh, of, of just the construction itself, but then not only that, the very presence of God dwelling there in their midst. The high priest, and only the high priest, would have the opportunity. Remember I talked about that veil, right, that stood between the sinful people and a holy God to protect us from his holiness and to protect him from our sinfulness. And only that one time a year, only that once a year, would the high priest dare, based on obedience and God's instruction, to, to take that blood sacrifice an inch past that curtain. He would pass through that 
earthly construction, that, that curtain into the place where God's, God's presence dwelt. And even doing so, he would do so with much fear and trepidation because he would have a, a rope tied to his ankle uh, just in case he fell down dead. The people could drag him out without themselves being exposed to the great holiness of God. Imagine right? Everybody would go, we need this high priest, but even this high priest is only passing through a, a curtain made by the hands of man into the presence of God uh, here on earth. But imagine Jesus. Imagine Jesus. He, he's not just passing through a curtain uh, in the tabernacle or in the temple to that place, but what does it say? This great high priest, Jesus, has passed through the heavens into the very place where God dwells. Jesus ministers in the very presence of God. Oh, since then we have such a priest, such a high priest, such a great high priest who has passed through not just the curtain, but through the heavens. Jesus. Who is this priest? It's Jesus and not only Jesus, is he the priest, but also what is he? He's the son. He's the son of God. He is the very son of God. Now, if you look at chapter 5, go back to verse 1, what you'll see here is in the Scripture, we know that these priests have to be chosen from among men, but they have to be appointed, right? They have to be appointed to act on behalf of men uh, for God. And what we see here is in verse 3 that no one takes this honor for himself, this honor of appointment, this honor of priesthood for himself, but only when he's called by God. In other words, no priest goes around and just names himself priest. This is a role that can only be filled when you are called and then appointed, anointed by God for the role. So the question is, well, what about Jesus? What about Jesus? Okay, we, we see that he's a priest, not, a, not only a priest, a high priest, a great high priest. He's passed through the heavens, but what about his appointment? How do we see that? And the reason we see that is there in verse 5 of chapter 5, if you look at your Bible. This, the writer says, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but he was appointed. He was in the same way as Aaron, in the same way as the other high priests that you know, we see that Jesus also actually was given this role. So you don't have to doubt. You don't have to wonder when you go to Jesus to mediate on your behalf in the presence of a holy God for all of your sins, your guilt, your shame. You don't have to wonder if he's really the one who can handle it. He has been appointed by God and the reason the writer gives this explanation in Hebrews, he gives us two psalms. He quotes two psalms. One here, this quotation is from Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. And then this quotation here is from Psalm 110, verse 4. So here in Psalm 2-7, a messianic psalm, he says, just as it was said about Jesus, you are my son, and today I have begotten you. It's an appointment. Not only is he a great high priest, but he's the very son of God with this appointment. And then we also see in Psalm 110.4 that Jesus fulfills this prophecy. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, in a few weeks, we'll come back and talk about Melchizedek. But the cool thing about this, guys, is this phrase right here. You are a priest forever. 
And we'll talk about this in future weeks, but if you think about it, every other priest, every other mediator between God and man has died at some point. But with Jesus, He has not… He did die, but He rose again after the third day, and He still lives. He has now passed through the heavens and is at the very right hand of God doing His priestly work on your behalf, and He lives. He lives. He lives, and He will never die. His priestly work on your behalf will continue forever, and therefore, you can trust Him. Amen? So the Scripture says there in verse 14, since then we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So we go back to our first point here. Jesus has a better position. He has a better position. And that position is the position of the eternal high priest. Jesus has a better position. Secondly, we go to ask the question, you know, why is Jesus better? Why is He a better priest? I hope the first one resonates with you. He is better than any priest who's ever come before. He's passed through the very heavens. He will not die. He has been exalted to this place, appointed by God. You can trust Him. But secondly, we learn this. Not only does He have a better position, but secondly, He offers a better sympathy. He offers a better sympathy. If you look back at your Bible, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, what we read in the Scripture is this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus offers a better sympathy. Let me tell you what his sympathy is. He understands and he saves all who trust him. He understands and he saves all who trust in him. What we know is about high priest, if you go to chapter 5 and you look at verse 2, what we know is about priests, that they were chosen among men, but one of the benefits of being chosen among men is that he can, the priest in the old times, in the tabernacle and the temple systems, were able to deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself was beset with weakness because he himself was a human when you came with your struggles, he could understand what it was like to be human, what it was like to deal with some of the things that you're dealing with. And that gave him an ability to relate to you, to empathize, sympathize with you, to deal gently and graciously with you. Now, the big question, if you go back to verse 15, the big question, the obvious question that you'd be asking is, okay, you're going, okay, so Jesus is a better mediator. He's a better priest. He's a high priest, a great high priest. But, but I mean, he, he's passed through the heavens. And I see what you're saying about, like, how this is amazing. But at the same time, it, it, it just feels, he feels distant. 
from me. It feels like because he's like in the heavenly place, like how could he really like sympathize with me? How could he really understand what I'm going through? I mean, he's there and I'm here and like he's God and, and, and I'm not. And like seriously, like I'm not sure that it's true that like he really is a better priest because I, I don't know that he offers the same kind of sympathy that like another dude or another gal would offer me. Like, I just don't know. And the writer of Hebrews here in verse 15, he answers that question. He uses double negative. He's so concerned about this. He says there in 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. In other words, if you have that doubt, the writer wants you to know, listen, Jesus is not unable to understand what you're going through. He's not. He understands. He understands all that you're going through. And you might ask, well, how does he understand? And the writer asks you to remember Jesus, remember his life. Do you remember, I mean, just reading the gospel accounts, do you remember how Jesus came fully God and fully man? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he has known all the temptations. He has known all the struggles. He has known exactly what it's like to be human, to be you. He says there in the end of verse 15, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He's going, okay, if you're wondering if Jesus understands your temptations, he does. In fact, he understands them more than you. Now you go, now wait a second. There's no way. Jesus is sinless. He says right here, he, he doesn't have sin. He, he under, he's been tempted in every way. He can't understand. But I would say to you, wait, 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 wait. Because really, the only one who understands the fullness of the weight of any temptation is the one who has endured it until its very end and then overcome. Most of us, in the time of our temptation, give in before we endure to the end toward obedience. We typically give in to it. Therefore, we don't know the full weight of what it's like to be tempted to the point of resisting it to the very end. For instance, if you were in a… So, imagine we were in a heavyweight competition, all right? And we were all lifting uh, barbells above our head. And one by one, we come up here trying to lift, let's say, a thousand pounds. I don't even know what heavyweight championships look like. I mean, I don't know what you can lift. So let's just imagine it's a thousand pounds. And one by one, what you see is people come up and they go, Ooh, and then they drop it, right? And the next person comes up, you know, and they got a little bit stronger muscles like me. <laughs> just kidding. Um, and they lift it a little bit higher, Ooh, and they get close, and then they drop it, right? And then the next person comes up and they go, and they get it so close, but then they drop it. All of them understand in a way what it's like to endure that, the weight of that, that weight, all right? They all understand. But really, if you think about having another come up, Nobody to this point has been able to totally lift it over their head and hold it. And another comes up, and they lift, and they 
get it all the way over the head and then they lift it all the way up and they hold it and they hold it. It's him and only him that understands the full weight of this competition, right? It's him and only him who really knows fully what it's like to experience the fullness of that weight, the one who overcomes. Don't tell me that just because Jesus was sinless that he doesn't understand temptation. He understands every temptation far more than you understand it because in every single temptation, he overcame. And he knows what it is like. He can offer you a better sympathy than any other, than any other priest, than any other priest, because there is no other priest who is perfect in this way and can fully understand what it is like to need God in every single moment of temptation that you go through. Praise God. He understands. He offers a better sympathy. And not only does He understand your temptations, but secondly, He understands your struggles and your sorrows. He does. If you look back at the text, chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, look at your Bible, chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. The writer says here, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. I think the writer has in mind here Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was a man of sorrows, the Scripture says, well acquainted with grief. And there are times in our lives where we go, nobody understands. Some of you, you answered that question at the beginning of the message, nobody understands. Nobody could possibly understand how much sorrow I'm going through. Nobody could possibly understand how I'm suffering. But I would point you to Jesus, and I would say to you, Jesus understands. He does. He gets what it's like to suffer. And not just to suffer a little bit, but to suffer the weight of the world upon his shoulders. And not just to suffer it in a, in a weight of that, uh, in, a, in a partial degree. He suffered all the way to the point of death. And there is no greater love. There is no greater understanding of suffering than to suffer it all the way through to its very end. If you are in the middle of struggle, if you are in the middle of sorrow, Jesus is one who receives you with great sympathy. When you come to him, he is humble. When you come to him, he is understanding. When you come to him, he gets what you're going through. He knows what it's like to feel what you feel. And this is better than any other priest who's come before. I think about the priest that dealt with Hannah in the beginning of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1. As Hannah, some of you know the character, was struggling because she wanted a child so bad and yet she couldn't have it. And we know that Elkanah, her husband, went to other women to have children and yet it was Hannah who couldn't. Some women who dealt with infertility, know the great pain, the great struggle, the great sorrow that comes with such grief. And Hannah goes into the temple, 
And she begins to pour out her soul. She begins to cry. She begins to pour out her soul before God. She's in the place seeking God where his presence dwells. And the priest comes to Hannah. And interestingly, the high priest, Samuel, he, he thinks that something is wrong with Hannah. He thinks that maybe she's had too much alcohol to drink. Literally, what we see is even among these men, these high priests who, who are, I mean, Samuel's a godly man, and yet there was a point at which he could not fully understand that what was happening with her was grief that was beyond emotion, beyond words, and she was pouring out her soul, and yet he writes her off in a way as one who maybe she just had too much to drink. There's a limit. Do you see it? There's a limit to what other priests, what other people are able to understand. But here's what I want to proclaim to you today. There is no limit with Jesus. There is no limit to what he can understand. There is no limit to the sympathy that he offers. He gets you. He understands sorrow. He understands struggle. He understands it all the way to the end. And therefore, friends, when you come to him, you can get sympathy. And that's why if you go back to chapter 4, verse 15, he says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin, one who in every way has experienced sorrow. So you can come and know that he gets you, that he gets you. I get the privilege typically around August every year to be able to go to Serbia. We go there because as a church we have a camp called Camp Hope that we allow uh, that we run there, really. We help to provide uh, provision for it. We also help to uh, provide some of the volunteers for it. But really, it's the vision and dream of a family, Slajan, Yorotseva, Malinkovic, uh, who came to Memphis is where we first met them. Some of you know their story. I've told it before. Sarah was diagnosed with a very rare and very serious, potentially fatal form of cancer, pediatric cancer at such a young age. They rushed them here from Serbia to Memphis to get treatment next door to us here at St. Jude. And when that family went back to Serbia after Sarah was healed, they had a vision to minister to other families. Out of their own pain and sorrow, they decided to start a camp that would invite other families who've experienced the horrors of childhood cancer and their family to come in and join alongside of them for hope, for community, and ultimately, hopefully, to find a relationship with God. One of the things that I've gotten to do over the years is sit in a circle with all of these parents. Uh, some of you might have sat in other uh, groups where there's group therapy or there's uh, just common sharing of struggle. But I've watched as I, I, I don't know much myself. I can study things about pediatric cancer. I can walk with families who are going through it. But I myself have never had a child um, with pediatric cancer. And I've watched at times in that circle as I have often facilitated and helped to facilitate conversation among parents in these group sharing environments. I have seen the limits that I have, but I've also watched as my friend Slodgen, as a dad who has gone through it himself, have had this incredible point of relation to these other families. And I see the difference between when I talk to the families and when he talks to the families. When he talks to the families, and he, he's talking out of his own experience. He's talking as one who, who doesn't just get it conceptually, but gets it experientially. And there's this incredible bond that these families have with one another. 
Because in these moments, they recognize, I am not alone. There is someone else who understands. And the goodness that comes there, the trust and release and the freedom uh, that comes there, the sense that I'm not alone that comes there, the help and the hope that comes there is incredible. And in in the same way, what I see with Jesus is that he, he sits and he makes himself available to us. And he doesn't talk like I talk to those families as one who just kind of understands it conceptually. He talks as like Slajan does to those families as one who gets it experientially. And he says, share with me. Come to me. Ask of me. I get it. I get it. And friends, when we are looking for a priest, we are looking for one who gets it. And Jesus says, come. Come. Jesus not only has a better position, but secondly, he offers a better sympathy He understands and saves all who come to him. Now, here's the close. You ready? This is us in closing. Number three, where does this all lead? It leads us to understand this. Number three, that Jesus provides a better access. Jesus provides a better access. Now, here's the access. I'll define it for you. What is the access? Mercy and grace in time of need. He provides mercy and grace. And he provides grace in time of need. If you look back at your Bible, that last verse in chapter 4, verse 16, in light of what we've heard about Jesus and who he is as our priest, the writer says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us, look at this, we're going to walk through this together. Let us. In other words, you don't need another human to go to God anymore. You don't. You don't need. You don't need that. You don't have to have another human mediator because your God has become flesh and now he becomes your mediator. You can go directly. Let us, let you, let you come. The whole invitation here is come and he's inviting you directly. You don't have to have a high priest go anymore on your behalf in an earthly sense behind an earthly veil because you have a high priest who is God himself, Jesus Christ. And now you can approach yourself. You can approach yourself to God. Let us then, with what? With confidence. With confidence. Oh my word, this is crazy. You're going into the presence of a holy God and you yourself are sinful? You're going directly in? I mean, where's your rope around your ankle to I can pull you out just in case? Wait, wait, wait. With confidence? What? Who goes in themselves with confidence to the very presence of God? Those who know the covering of Jesus Christ. Those who know relationship with him. Those who know that he is our high priest and he actively mediates for us. Our confidence, friends, is not in ourselves. This confidence is not a confidence that comes from self from our own worthiness. I can do it. I can make it. No, this confidence is confidence that comes from Jesus. 
But because we know Jesus and how he is a great high priest, because we know his work and his position and his sympathy, because we know who he is and what he's come to do for all who believe, how he ministers grace, we can be confident in him. So let us come directly and let us come with confidence, our hopes in him. And do what? Let us draw near to where? The throne of grace. Let's come near. But what I love here is as we get to the throne, typically we would think, right, we're we're getting to the throne and it's going to be a throne of judgment. And the holiness of God, when we get to that throne where the king is, we're going, oh, it's a throne of judgment. But what we see here is he says, let's draw near to the throne of grace. This throne of our great high priest is a throne of grace. Every year the high priest would go into that holy of holy place and would pour out that sin offering. And from that that throne, so to speak, that mercy seat, he would administer grace once a year. But Jesus has passed through the heavens. And he doesn't minister from some earthly shadow of what was to come in substance. He ministers from the real place. That mercy seat, that tabernacle was just a foreshadowing of what really is the very throne of God, the very mercy seat of God. And Jesus doesn't just go in there one day a year to offer you grace. Jesus lives there 367, 20, 367, 365, 24-7. Every single day of the year, every single moment of every day, he is there in the very place of the throne and he ministers grace. He ministers grace. He ministers grace. So come near to the throne of grace. Why? Here, so that we may receive. All of the Christian life is receiving. All of the Christian life is receiving. We need to receive. Sin is trying to save ourselves, but salvation is learning that he's come to give. We can't save ourselves. He's come to save us, and we need to receive. We need to receive. We need to receive. All of our life is receiving So when we get there, we're not doing, we are receiving. And what are we receiving? Here it says mercy and grace. In other words, compassion for our sin, a withholding of judgment for what we deserve, that's mercy. And grace, a giving of what we do not deserve, the manifold blessing of God. We receive mercy, compassion in our sin, and a pouring out of the riches of God. Does anybody here today need help? Well, the Scripture says we can come now ourselves to Jesus, to the very place where God dwells, and receive, receive, receive of His grace, grace and mercy for what? To help us, to help us in time of need. Anybody ever thought, there's nobody that can help me? Nobody can help me with this. I don't even know if anybody's willing to help me. Well, I'm here to proclaim to you today, there is one who can help you. Whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that you're feeling, whatever it is that you need to overcome, the crazy, miraculous change that you need in your heart and life, the answers, the provision, the hope, whatever it is right now, and you wonder, who can help me? I'll tell you, there is one who can help, and it's Jesus Christ. And he helps you from the very place where God's presence dwells, and he pours out mercy, and he pours out grace in your time of need. Friends, he gives a better access. He gives a better access. We know from chapter 5, there in verse 9, being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus helps. 
In his perfection, he blesses, he helps, he provides, he gives grace and help in your time of need. Praise God for the access that he gives. I picture, you know, I'm a pastor here and often I'm scheduled out. Many of you try to schedule a meeting with me. Sometimes you know it takes a little bit to get one because I typically run my days full schedule. But I'll tell you one thing. Um, Typically, it doesn't matter who I'm meeting with. If I hear the doors open and my little girl come in and I hear her start running down the halls, Daddy! (laughs) You better bet that I do everything I can. Of course, I try to ask permission, but to try to open my door and to let little Caroline and now little Emma come in. I love them, and they have total access to me. I love one of the pictures of John F. Kennedy with little John John underneath a resolute desk during one of his meetings. I mean, can you imagine in the Oval Office who has that kind of access but a child? A child. And what I'm saying to you today is, friends, what a glorious grace we've been provided that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the great high priest himself, he says, when you come, I'm ready to receive you because I love you and you are my child. As we close today, we look back at these three points and we consider how much better of a priest Jesus is. He has a better position, he offers a better sympathy, and he provides a better access. I'm wondering today as we close, how is it that you need to come to Jesus today? I believe you're very aware of your brokenness, your sinfulness, your need. I believe that you're very aware of the holiness of God. And your great need for one who can mediate on your behalf. But I'm wondering today, do you know that that mediator is Jesus? There is no one who can mediate on your behalf more than Jesus. He is better in every way. He is the great high priest. This is who he is. This is the position that he holds. And when you come, do you know that he understands you? He understands every temptation. He understands every struggle. He understands every sorrow. He gets you. And he can sit with you and cry with you and empathize with you. He understands your weakness and your time of need. But friends, not only does he understand, you need somebody who not only gets you, but can help you. And not only does Jesus get you, but he can help you. And that is why he says, let us draw near to the throne of grace so that we can receive mercy, find help, mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. And what I'm wondering this morning is, will you come? Father, I'm praying for every single person today. I'm praying that as we respond to you, Lord, that we would be coming, that we would be coming to you even now, that we would hear your invitation and that we would choose to come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for being our great high priest. Thank you, Lord for what you have done to be our perfect mediator. Oh God, we need, we need you. We need your forgiveness. We need your mercy. We need your grace. We need your help. There's only one who can give it, and it's Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you came for this reason, that you live for our righteousness, that you obeyed perfectly so that you could be our Savior, that you went to the cross so that you could minister forgiveness, mercy, and grace taking on our sin and shame and putting it to death. Thank you, Lord, that after you went to the grave, dying the death that we deserve to die, that you rose again triumphantly and that you live and you will always live today as the perfect high priest. 
so that right now from the throne of grace, you receive us and you give to us of all that you are and all that you have. Thank you, Lord. We come today. We come today to you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.